Change is seldom comfortable, but it's often necessary. It's certainly necessary if our attitudes and actions don't line up with God's word. In the book of Acts, all kinds of changes were happening with God's people. It was the transition between the demands of the Old Testament and the church living out New Testament principles. As Peter learned, changes can have far-reaching impact. Stephen called this lesson, Adding Bacon to the Menu. William Shakespeare once wrote, All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. Well, if, if life is like a staged production, frankly, it seems to go off script a lot, doesn't it? Life is unpredictable, characters enter and exit at random, scenes suddenly change without warning, plans constantly change. In life, it seems like the one constant is change. Well, I think that's why we've got to keep our eyes on the production manager, our Lord who is directing the play of life. Now, I can't imagine all the changes involved in the transition from the, from the Old Testament, from Judaism, to New Testament Christianity. As I've said, the book of Acts is a, is a bridge book. It crosses from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. And at times, I've got to tell you, it's a pretty steep climb. For instance, the church that came into existence in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost was primarily a Jewish congregation. As the apostles and, and other believers carried the gospel message beyond Jerusalem, it was only a matter of time before the gospel began to reach the Gentiles. Well, now here in Acts chapter 10, the changes are going to be uh, equally dramatic. In fact, if you can believe it, it's going to discuss the subject of food. Who, who can sit at the table and fellowship together? Uh, what's on the menu that they can eat Together, Can Gentiles be invited to the table with Jews? Can Jews eat the same food as Gentiles? Is this early church going to have to divide up when the church has dinner on the grounds after Sunday services? Let me tell you, these were significant issues that touched on the very nature of the church, and God is about to instruct them. He's going to use two men to bring about some rather dramatic changes. And I want to I divide this very critical chapter, chapter 10, into three scenes. Scene one takes place at the home of a Gentile seeker, an unbeliever. Verse one tells us, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now, the name Cornelius is interesting because a very special event made it famous. History records that around 85 years before the birth of Christ, a Roman general named Cornelius was victorious in a civil war. He liberated thousands of slaves. All the male slaves took his name to mark the beginning of their new lives as freed men. Now, it's quite possible that this centurion is a descendant 
of one of those freed slaves. Now, what we do know is that Cornelius and his household are God-fearers, the Bible says, which means they have turned away from Roman idols. They are following the God of Abraham. They just don't know about Jesus. Cornelius is having his quiet time one morning when God comes and gives him a vision. Verse 3 says, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God. Well, this angel tells Cornelius to send men to Joppa, that's about 30 miles south, and bring Simon Peter back to his house. He's not told why, but he immediately obeys uh, the angel in this vision. Now, this brings us to scene two, and this takes place on a rooftop. It's around noontime. Uh, Peter's up there having his devotions. The breeze is making life a little cooler. He's been staying at the home of Simon, a tanner. See, God is already preparing Peter for changes. He's been staying with a tanner. Well, that's an unclean profession since it constantly involved contact with dead animals. Well, Peter understands that cleansing comes from the blood of Christ alone, not, not ceremonial tradition. So he's already being prepped for change. Well, verse 11 tells us, Peter saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's response here in verse 14 is, by no means, Lord, In other words, I'm not going to eat Gentile, non-kosher food. No, Lord. By the way, no and Lord never belong in the same sentence. Well, Peter says further here in verse 14, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. You see, he's still been following the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. Well, that means that, that Peter's never eaten a pork chop. He's never had link sausage with his scrambled eggs. He's, he's never been able to enjoy a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. He has no idea, frankly, what he's missing. Well, the voice from heaven tells him here in verse 15, what God has made clean, do not call common. In other words, you don't say no when God says yes. And beloved, that also means you shouldn't say yes when God has said no. Well, this vision is repeated now two more times, and the point is clear. Old Testament dietary laws are no longer in effect, and there's to be no distinction between Jews and Gentiles in the New Testament church, even what's on the menu. Well, immediately following this vision, the Lord informs Peter that that men are going to knock on his door, and he's to go with them. Well, now, scene three opens— It takes us to the estate of Cornelius. Peter, accompanied by some believers from Joppa, have now arrived. Verse 24 tells us Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Well, Peter explains the uniqueness of this gathering here now in verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Well, it looks like Peter has learned from his earlier vision after all. Cornelius now tells Peter about his vision and says to Peter here in verse 
33, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Well, with that, Peter launches into a brief history of Jesus' ministry and the church here in verses 34 all the way to verse 43. And he concludes that the grace of God is available to both Jew and Gentile equally. Now, following Peter's explanation of the gospel, and and especially his assurance here in verse 43 that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name, well, evidently, everybody in Cornelius' household believes. They become Christians, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 46 tells us that Peter and his companions uh, now hear Cornelius and members of his household speaking in tongues, and extolling God. Now, be careful. Don't misunderstand this. This doesn't mean that every believer is going to speak in tongues. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 30 makes it clear that every believer does not speak in tongues. Well, why are they doing that here? Well, think about this. These are the first Gentile converts empowering them to speak in languages they've never learned before is God's way of demonstrating that what happened back at Pentecost to Jewish believers is now equally happening. It's being duplicated among these first Gentile believers. And this confirms that the Holy Spirit belongs to the Gentiles just as much as the Holy Spirit belongs to the Jews. Well, following this unique demonstration. These new believers are immersed in water. They're baptized. That identifies them with the death, burial, and resurrection of their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are welcomed into the church. Beloved, we can't miss the stunning historical and and theological significances of these events. This is establishing the fact that the New Testament church is not segregated by, by ethnic or cultural differences. It includes everybody equally who follows Jesus Christ in faith. In fact, Peter highlights this truth with these words here at the beginning of his sermon, now in verse 34. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation— Anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Wow. Let me ask you this today. What does God want to change in your life? When you think about all these changes, even what they're eating, what does God want you to alter? Do you need to begin thinking biblically about something, about someone instead of thinking traditionally or, or ethnically? What are you holding on to that, that God wants you to release? Who knows? If you're willing to make some changes in your attitude, God just might use you to begin a movement in your household, uh, your, your business, uh, maybe even in your world. Well, with that, we're out of time. Until our next journey, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
The lesson you're listening to is called Adding Bacon to the Menu. Stephen Davey will continue through the book of Acts and then the rest of the New Testament in the days ahead. This is the wisdom journey. Stephen is teaching through the entire Bible in this series. If you'd like to go back and listen to any of the previous lessons, we've posted all of them to our website. Visit wisdomonline.org. Once you get there, you can listen to any of the lessons or watch the video version. Once again, that website is wisdomonline.org, and I hope you'll visit there today. I'm glad you joined us, and I hope you'll make plans to join us next time as we continue sailing on this wisdom journey.